Well, welcome to class this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, we're so grateful to you for all that you do for us. We are only aware of a tiny amount of what you are doing for us and in us. We are so grateful that you do work in us and through us for your will, because our will and our abilities are so very pathetic. Thank you so much for giving us your wonderful word. Please open, open it to us this morning and give us clear understanding what you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, if you would open your Bible this morning to Mark chapter 8, I would like someone to read Okay, just hold that thought one second. I got my tongue before my feet there. So we're talking about the suffering servant today is the way I've titled this. And the corresponding sections are in Matthew 16 and in Luke 9. Luke's fairly brief account of this, but uh, Mark is where we are. So if you would not mind, let's read... Um, Verses 31 and 32. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Wow. So Jesus is talking and tells them that he is going to die. And Peter has a real problem with this. Can we think back what happened last week? Or cheat and look in the verses above? What happened last, we studied last week? A blind man was healed. Okay, the very last thing that happened before verse 31. Oh, he asked them who people thought he was. Yes, then what was their conclusion? This is the disciples now. Peter's giving the answer for all the disciples. We're in Christ. And what does that mean? Son of God. Their well, Savior. The Messiah. The there you go. So going back to the Hebrew, this is the anointed one. He's, Peter is acknowledging that Jesus is the anointed one that the Old Testament has promised for a very long time. Um, yeah. Depending how we look at the Old Testament, this is a long-awaited promise. So this is a really, 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 really big moment. We cannot appreciate how big of a deal this was for them, but if you think back on all we've gone through this in Mark already, you know, how much Jesus has been showing them about himself, all the miracles that he did, even raising people from the dead, 
uh, it's only a natural conclusion for them to reach at this point. Um, do you want to just think about some of the other things that uh, would have led them to this point? Yes, to the point of acknowledge him as actually being the Messiah, not just another prophet, which is you know, what the other people were saying, some of the older prophets coming, maybe coming back, because there's a big difference between the prophets and the Messiah, a really, really big difference. And this is a big step for them to have come to. So what? Just, let's just go back over, what are a couple of things that, led them to this conclusion. He forgave sins in chapter 2. Okay. His miracles, the parables that he taught. Okay. And explained. Okay. Anything else? I, I came up with my own little list here. So we'll go through. First of all, uh, according to... To... To look at my note here. I don't... So according to Matthew, it's actually the father in, in Matthew when Matthew records this. He said that, you know, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because your father in heaven has shown this to you. So first of all, they did need God to open their minds. Think back to all the parables and they kept saying, what are you doing? What are you talking about? And he kept saying, don't you understand? Don't you understand? Well, it takes God to open our minds to understand these things. And that certainly was the first thing that, that they needed. But yes, you talked about his authority, his teaching. They were always, the, the crowds were just amazed at how he taught, not like the typical teacher. He is utterly different. He spoke as though he knew what he was talking about himself instead of just quoting other people. And, and of course, his power, his miracles were, were a big thing too, which helped persuade them. But again, the older prophets did miracles. Elisha raised people from the dead. Uh, you know, so this is a, we have to appreciate, I would like us, I think we should appreciate how big of a deal this statement is. Because once you say that, that puts you in a different point, a different place. And, and you know, that should affect the rest of your life, shouldn't it? Yes. So the question here is, does it? It's, it's very interesting what happened here, because what did happen? What did she just read? Yep. So Peter said he shouldn't be talking like that. What could possibly have been going through Peter's head thinking it like that? hundreds of years prior and here he is not to let something bad happen to this 
That's right. I did get ahead of myself there. Forgive me. Um, that's exactly right. This is human. We, yeah, sir. Also, they were still thinking the earthly kingdom. Right. Well, that's all they were thinking. That's all we think about. We're humans. We're stuck to this dirt. We're literally stuck to it with gravity, and our heads just have a big problem getting away, getting up, getting up, thinking above. That's hard. And plus, you know, when, when you're in, we just can't, I guess we can't appreciate the, uh, the tension that the, the Israelis had being ruled by Rome. There's some, the if you if you know the history since the um, final destruction of Jerusalem back in 586, all those and then the silent 400 years, all those things that happened in there, the the Jews were ruled by the you know the Babylonians, then the Assyrians, and then the Greeks, and now the Romans, and yet they kept rising up after uh, after um, the Greek guy sorry Alexander. Alexander the Great after he died the, his kingdom was thank you sir was divided up and the, and the, Israel got the worst of those divisions with Antiochus Epiphanes who was just a horrible horrible guy he's a guy that desecrated the temple and uh, you know he would he would make the priests um, slaughter a pig and if they refused he would just kill them it was it was just lots of things but they eventually revolted and they chased the Greeks out for a little while but then of course the Romans came in and took over and uh, so anyway, they, there was a lot of urgency and need on all of the Israeli people for somebody to come and get rid of these stinking Romans because they were Israel after all. They were God's people. Why shouldn't they have be, be ruled? So it was a very, you know, very personal and human attitude that they had all of this. So what were they forgetting? I gave you some... Pardon? God's plan. That's right. And what was God's plan? We see that all the way back in the Old Testament. What, what can you think of? I've given you hints here. What does Genesis 3.15 say? We've got to keep this moving. <laughs> I'm always afraid of being done by by 10 o'clock, but probably won't happen today. That the seed of the woman would have his heel crushed, but he would crush the head of the serpent. Yeah, so even there, there's a clear indication that the seed of the woman, the promised one, would, would have an injury. And there are so many pictures throughout the Old Testament about the coming the coming Savior. Um, what about Psalm 22? These guys do these things. They've read these their entire lives, but it just doesn't 
registered to them. What does Psalm, what's Psalm 22 about? Who has it? No one has it memorized? I don't either. <laughs> so, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right. Yes, well, and there's more than that in, a, in it. It's, it's, it's all about a picture of a guy that they've never seen. It's what happens to a person when they're hanging on a cross. They're, they're just terribly disfigured. Their bones are sticking out. It's a, it's a mess. Let's just read a bit of that. Um, I didn't make any particular notes, but I was impressed reading it. Uh, the description is just amazing. Uh, Dogs have, verse 16, dogs have surrounded me, band of evildoers have encompassed me, they pierced my hands and my feet, I can count all my bones, they look, they stare at me, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So even if you aren't familiar with that, you've heard those words, haven't we? Um, it's, it's just a, a lament. I cry, and you do not answer. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So this is, they just aren't putting these two together. They are incompatible ideas for the human mind. And yet they're there, and they still respect them as um, God's word about this. Uh, who's got some, or uh, Isaiah 53, we all know that the Jewish nation didn't know what to do with this. But it's still in there. It's always been there. Someone would read, does someone have that? Uh, read verses 3 through 11. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. So from this side, that's real plain, isn't it? Totally, totally plain. And yet, 
they could not figure this out. Although, really, it really is clear. The righteous one. I mean, the titles are in there all the time for them to see. But that's not all. How about, I'm going to read Daniel 9. Daniel 9.26. So he, it, that's where Daniel sees the vision about the Messiah. It, it's explicit here. I'll do verse 25. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, a historical fact that Peter and everyone then knew about, from the issuing of the decree to restore Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. I don't expect the fishermen had good calendar calculations, but certainly it's been a long time and they've been waiting. Uh, it says uh, it will be built again. Jerusalem was built. Well, they were living, I mean, they, they would go to Jerusalem. They could see there was a temple there. Um, it will be built with moat and plaza and even in times of distress. Interesting. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing and the people of the prince who was to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. It's totally, utterly, completely explicit with the time and date and description of what's going to happen. Obviously, that hadn't happened yet, but if they were careful students of the word like we are, they would have anticipated that, they could have anticipated that there would be a little bit going on. He's not going to just come in and chase out the enemies and reign victorious forever. There's an interruption there, a clear interruption in Daniel. But that's not all. What about um, John the Baptist? Anyone remember what he said? If somebody would read uh, John chapter 1, verse 29 and verse 36. Yes. 29 says, The next day he saw Jesus coming to him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And 36. And he looked at Jesus as he walked, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Do we know what the context is here? John 1, this is talking about John the Baptist here. And who was hanging around with John the Baptist? Do we know? Well, we think at least James and John were with him. Peter and Andrew come just a few moments later. But uh, here Jesus is being described as the Lamb of God. Were, were the Jews familiar with that term? Is that a pre-existing term? Don't have to be afraid. So what happens to a lamb in a Jewish context? It's slaughtered for sacrifice. That's right. It happened all the time, constantly, whenever they had their 
uh, system of uh, sacrifices, their annual um, Day of Atonement, all of that, it was just a daily thing. They raised lambs just to be killed. So calling Jesus the Lamb of God, what is the implication for someone like that? Should be that he is here to be killed for them. But that's just too spiritual and just dull humans just could not get that. And besides that, what kind of a personality was Jesus to his disciples? They were expecting him, they're calling him Messiah. Was he acting like a Messiah? Was he knocking heads and telling the Romans what to do? Was he setting up a kingdom? Was he appointing his right-hand ministers like the disciples were trying to get him to do? Can I be first? Can I be on your right hand? (laughs) Was he doing any of that? So they had his character. They were seeing him. He was serving. He was a suffering. Well, he wasn't suffering yet at this point in their minds, although he was, of course. He was sighing and shaking his head all the time. But he was certainly very humble. He was going without eating. He was just not dressing fancily. He didn't have his hair being done, he didn't, wasn't wearing any crowns, he wasn't talking about what he's going to be doing with these guys when, when he's finished with them. He, his, he was totally unwilling to take charge and set up his kingdom to them. Yes, sir? Um, yeah, he was more behind the scenes. Yes. But they also saw him rebuking the Pharisees, so they knew, like you just you said, he had the authority, but it was more behind the scenes. Well, yeah, and he wasn't doing it to set himself up. He, yes, because of what he could have done to those people. I mean, they saw what he was doing. If he could stop the wind and the waves, what couldn't he do? So that's what they were forgetting. They just weren't seeing that. And so that's what prompted Peter's outburst at him. Isn't that amazing? Telling Jesus to stop talking like that. Do we ever tell Jesus what to do and what to say? Perish the thought. Okay, I'm very, I'm talking instead of pushing the button here. So we covered all of that. So, what did Jesus respond to him then? How to Jesus. Time to read on. Let's go back to that. If someone would read for us, somebody with good lungs, let's read the rest of Mark 8 and include 9 verse 1. Thank you. In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, Well, Am I in the spot? Yeah. To well, no, let's start with 33. Okay. But turning 
and seeing the, his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. A lot going on here. Can you turn me down? I don't like to hear myself echoing. Unless I'm too quiet otherwise. So Jesus quickly stops Peter's rebuke. Do you notice that? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But he didn't get much out when Jesus turned around and, and pretty much snapped at him and said, <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. So this is this guy that just a moment before said that he's the Messiah. Now Jesus is saying, Get behind me, Satan. Suppose that took a little bit of the wind out of Peter's sails there. But you notice also, when Jesus turned around, he also noticed the disciples. So the implication here is that the disciples were all thinking the same thing. Our Messiah should not be talking like that. Messiah should not be... How can he be saying stuff like that? That he would be killed. Um, pretty, pretty interesting. And we do need to go back and look at what Jesus actually said at this point, why they said that the Son of Man, again, Jesus not acknowledging his Messiahship, even in his own designation of himself, that's a fairly humble term. It's an extremely humble term for the Son of God to be using to say the Son of Man. Yes, sir. When I read this, where it says, uh, whosoever shall come after me, let him deny himself. So I'm thinking, okay, deny himself? What's he denying? Go in the ways of the world. And take up his cross and follow me. Obey the teachings of Jesus. And, and serve like Jesus. Uh, whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Basically, You've got a choice. You can go carnal or you can go spiritual. And sometimes people think when they go carnal, they're actually finding their life. But they're not. They're losing it. And yeah, but we're not that sharp, see? <laughs> Again, it goes back to the fact that we're so stuck to this earth. And that's what we focus on. We can't see the spirit the spiritual side, we 
see the physical side, the fleshly side, right? So yes, you're just a little ahead of me there, so can we, can we just hold, or keep thinking about that? Because, I mean, that's what Jesus is saying here, that he must suffer those things too. We don't want to suffer. We, and so that's why we focus on the carnal side. We don't want pain. We have, we spend billions of dollars a second, I think, on pills and things to keep from pain. Yes. And another thought I was thinking of is um, we are crucified with Christ, we are buried with Christ, and we're resurrected with Christ. So that could be taken up the cross. That's right. <laughs> And but, but first, it's a process, right? And Jesus had that same process that he had to go through. And so that's where the problem is. You know, you're, you're seeing Peter at that. He doesn't want the process. It's not a, it, it, we, we all have a hard time with that. Daily, we have a hard time with that. And we'll get to that later, how... This phrase is repeated in, in Luke also with, with the word daily. Here it's just implied. But who is going to make this Messiah suffer? The hands of men. And which men? Romans, Jews. Well, just looking at our verse here in Verse, going back to verse 31, Jesus explicitly defines three groups of people. And these are explicit. They each have their definite article. The elders. Who are the elders? The wise men of the group. Well, they're the... Yeah, they're, they're the... They're the us of their group. The, the, the people... The, the leaders of the people themselves. These are people that are, that are not part of the, generally not part of the uh, religious establishment in Jerusalem, but part of the leadership throughout the country. The older, the authoritative, the, the fathers of, the, of each family leader, those would be the elders, but of course they are as we will see here in a moment. Yes? So those who, who think they found their life, and actually they didn't find it, they think they found their life, they didn't care to be crucified with Christ, they didn't care to be buried with Christ, they don't care to be resurrected with Christ, they'd rather just go their own way. Well, I don't know if yeah. that makes sense. Well, yes, that's what we're saying, and that's, I mean, it wasn't just Peter and the, the disciples here that have this problem of not realizing that the Messiah has to suffer for them. I mean, these elders and the chief priests and the scribes, they know all those Old Testament documents better than, better than the rest. And, but no one wants to think that. No one wants to have our leader to be killed. 
because that has bad implications for the followers. Really bad implications. So you've got the elders, the other group is the, the other group is the chief priests. And these are the, that includes the high priest and all of the other functioning priests because priests have to retire and they may be in a priestly family but they don't go into service until they're 25 or 30 depending on the numbers I have read. But these are, again are important leadership role people for the nation of Israel. And of course the last group here is the scribes and that would be mostly Pharisees. Again, these are the most knowledgeable in the scripture people in the group. And they're the ones that are perpetrating the law keeping. They are the temple police and all of that. These are the ones that are the most accurate, careful, spiritual people in the group. Together, these three groups form the Sanhedrin, which is the, the Jewish Congress. They're the ones that make the laws, enforce the laws, and, and all of that. And they are the ones who will, Jesus said, will be killed. Uh, Jesus will be killed by this group of people, by the Sanhedrin. But what else does he put in there? rise again. So these, what we have here, along with Peter's most momentous statement for the group, for the disciples, to conclude that Jesus is the Messiah, but they're missing the fact that he has to be killed, but that he will rise again. And this just doesn't want to compute. So as we will see, Jesus will continue to teach this. Again, he stated the matter plainly. Up until now, he has been implying it. What are some of the statements that Jesus made before that implied his death? But it wasn't plain. Now you've all been through Mark 1 through eight so far, so you've read this. Okay, how about signs? Did you say anything about signs that would help them on this? Okay, Jonah. Okay, so in order to rise, what has to happen you have, to, you have to die, yes. And certainly they, I mean, they knew, um, it's, it's curious to me how um, Mark had said earlier, way back in that chapter 3, where the, the Pharisees went away and began to conspire with the Roman sympathizing party to kill Jesus way back at the beginning, you know, way back there. So there, was, there are implications all the way along that they 
knew that Jesus was hinting at, but this is, that's why this is, this is such a, a big thing, that for them, for Peter to say that, and of course, that is in the three, all in the, in each of the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, So Jesus is then goes on into this first introduction into the rest of their life. And not just the 12 chosen ones, but the entire group of the disciples there. And so at this point, he tells them that he is going to die. And if they want to have their mindset on God's plan, they need to be listening to him and preparing to do the same thing. And that's, you know, he tells them that we have to prepare to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. This is serious business. So, um, are we I need to say I need to dis- be, give a disclaimer here because I'm not your model for that okay I'm not really great at, at um, deny- denying myself daily but this is what we are called to do so what are some of the things that we think about when we are told to consider ourselves dead to the world. When we are told to take up our cross, what are we, what are we talking about there? To deny ourselves carnal pleasures or take pride in the acquisition of possession. Okay, I really like that you said to take pride in uh, so meaning you don't take pride in your position your job your house your those are only temporary things they're not things to build ourselves up by and in fact do they give us value at all eternally no that's right they don't do they give Value to God's kingdom? Eternally, no. Yeah. Anything else? Apparently, I put you guys to sleep. It's getting hard to have any response here. Any other, any other thoughts? Um, how do, yeah, how do we do this? Don't say right to me. I'm not well, the most authoritative person here. That's what I believe. Yes. Thank you. Well, what are we actually doing then? And that we're, we're making decisions based on what? God's word. I don't know what he wants us to do. There you go. Do that right. 
setting your mind on the things of God, but not on the things of man. Do you have any more comments, Steve? Because you were going off on this. In fact, you asked the question, what does that mean to take up our cross? Have you thought that through? Do you have your own answers for that? Anyone else? I mean, we're supposed to work this out together. That's what the life of the body is, that we are helping each other on these in these ways, on these decisions, because they do affect not just ourselves, but they affect all of the body. They affect the people around us. And that effect sometimes appears to be very negative. It was negative for Jesus of the, to the point that he got mashed up really, really badly and then killed. Um, and it happened. You know, the other thing that I just forgot to mention um, in that group, right then, that moment was the guy that was going to be the first martyr just a few years down the road. And they weren't thinking about that. One of the guys that wanted to be on Jesus's right hand in his kingdom. But the Something happened between now and a year later that changed these people a little bit. Hmm. It seems that Jesus also wants to give Peter and the rest of the disciples kind of a better understanding of what suffering, like what the point of suffering is as well. You see Peter take that down the line and then write stuff very similar to Paul in, in Second Corinthians there. Where Peter's saying, like, this is a momentary thing. This thing is not going to last for a long time. We have this view of something that is to come. He didn't have that understanding in the moment, though, with the, the idea, if Jesus was going to be suffering, you better believe that the disciples were also going to be uh, suffering as well. Um, where they were expecting to be part of this grand earthly kingdom. Jesus is like, no, I'm going to die. Peter says, stop. Jesus goes, hold, hold your horses, buddy. <laughs> he says, you know, basically, you have to be ready to die as well, you know, and um, kind of, yeah, his whole idea is just to, like, say, hey, your uh, idea of what godly living is life, that life doesn't include suffering. Uh, buckle up, kiddo, it's about to get rough. Any other comments? Have we exhausted this? So yes, Jesus, this is the moment of, you know, the biggest moment when they acknowledge him as Messiah and Jesus immediately starts setting down really solid groundworks to what that really, really means. Not that they need to change their mind about their, their whole life up to this point because their idea was just misdirected because it was earthy and not heavenly. What was, what is, uh, get my verbs right here. What are the Mark's themes of his gospel, of his 
letter here. This is a end of class review. The suffering servant. Certainly the suffering servant. And and he certainly is doing a good job of that, isn't he? Mark did a, an excellent job of dis, of describing Jesus' uh, servant attitude up to this point, and certainly it only becomes more submissive and serving to the point where he actually gets down and washes his knucklehead followers' feet. And we don't get a, the appreciation of that at all. We pay good money to have people play with our feet and polish our toenails and things. But think about, think about then, you know, they're walking around in sandals with herds of animals. Uh, I grew up on a farm. I know what it's like to have um, my feet dirty with, don't need to mention it, but you, you, can, you know what your feet get like when you're walking around with barefoot with animals. And so that was the lowest part of the body. It was the dirtiest part of the body. It was the most disgusting part of the body. And for some of us, it still is. But the servant who has to take care of that has to be a humble person. It's certainly the job that they all wanted to get promoted from, I'm sure. And for their leader, their Messiah, to do that to them had to be just, that had to, yes, those, that last day just dumped so much so many different ideas in their head that they it took them obviously a long time to digest it. And for 2,000 years, we've all been trying to digest that and we haven't done a good job of it. Because again, we are so stuck to this world. There is so much about this world that we like and we want to enjoy this world. And so that's one of the, I can tell you from my perspective, that's one of the really nice things about growing old is you can start to see that all this stuff that have been so important all our life just isn't, isn't a lot of things. And it certainly isn't eternal. And it's not the real thing. The real thing we are looking forward to. Everything that God designed in this creation is so unfulfilling now and will be so amazing later when all things are made new. Then we can start really seeing what God had in mind when he created this world. So yes, and this goes all the way to the, the big decision in our lives, whether we're going to follow Jesus or, or not, whether we're going to be willing to lose our life for his sake or not. Um, and I, I just think that we're not preaching and teaching this enough in our certainly in the American churches. We are just, we just have a real hard time divorcing ourselves from this world and accepting the fact that we 
if we are in Christ, then we have died to this world. Wow. Any other comments? Has anyone thought why we've included verse 1 of chapter 9 here? Well, before we go that, how do you uh, pair that with all we have to do is believe, right? That's kind of, seems like we see that in the Bible here and there. We hear that a lot. All we have to do to be saved is believe. But then here it says, unless we take up our cross, and unless we lose our life, then we're not going to find it. And, uh, we forfeit our soul. How do those two things, how do we pair those two things together? You just couldn't resist asking that, could you? <laughs> yes. Uh, okay, well that's where the definition of belief comes in, in my mind. Uh, belief is full of content. And we can't content that word. So if we believe yeah, that, that is a true thing. Jesus said he that believes in me will not perish but have eternal life. You might have heard that. So what is the definition of that belief? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? That's a good description. I just think we need to add one more thing to it that is all wrapped up in a person. Christ. Our belief is in Jesus, who he is, right? Because that is what he is. He is all that holiness, is that purity, it is who he is. If we say that Jesus is the Messiah, then, then we are accepting all of this information that we've been talking about today and all of our lives about who Jesus is. Because he is, our, he is the one that gives us entrance into the, his world, into his kingdom. So if we believe Jesus, that is all we have to do. If we believe who he really is and, and what he is and what he has done. Uh, we, sure you would like to add to that. Um, yeah, I think we have to distinguish it from just simple intellectual assent. Yes. The demons believe there is one God. They, they tremble and they're good right for realizing there is one God. But there is much more than that, right? We can 
take this back to chapter four with the parable of the sower and the soils. Um, there was only one soil that actually produced fruit that was good. And the seed was scattered all different places. And some, it, it shot up quickly, but it didn't actually produce fruit. I think that's evidence of not truly believing, not uh, believing in this real sense that actually produces fruit that um, is deeper than just intellectual assent like the demons have. Yes, yeah, not a answer on a, that you write on a piece of paper, a, a test answer. It has, yes, it has all that meaning because we have to understand. We have to understand what that means. We believe in, trust on our entire faith. Everything that we believe is focused on one person. And, you know, he's, he's the... Um, He is the one that gives us himself. And that is the other proof of believing is if Christ is Christ in you. Uh, Romans 8 you know, says that you know, if Christ is in you, then the body is dead, but the spirit is alive. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. So there is false belief or fake belief or faulty belief. So, yeah, we need to make sure that our belief is pure and in the correct thing. And we need to be able to see evidence of life. There's always going to be evidence of life if you believe. And those, you know, there's lots of ways the Bible talks about that. You know, the go-to one is the fruits of the Spirit, because becoming a believer in Jesus after Pentecost, the Spirit of God comes into us and, and it produces, he produces fruit in us. He doesn't live in us secretly. It has to flow out. Any other comments? You're right, I did, and you did totally. I am easily distracted. It's just very amazing that with their, with Peter's confession, and we, we accept that the rest of the disciples agreed with Peter there, and then their rebuke of how they are thinking about the Messiah by Jesus, he then says after talking all about lose, being willing to lose our life and that it's impossible to exchange anything in this world with our own actions for our soul eternally. Um, he says to, I think, as a grace to a couple of those guys, including the first guy that's going to die for him, to actually see the kingdom in its power and glory. And and that's what we will get to next week, I expect. But that is just such an amazing grace that Jesus gave them at the end of this little really downer speech. Yes? 
your opinion on that? What does it mean? Oh, well, I'm going to oh, let... Next week. Okay. Yeah, see, thank you. Well, the very close positioning in Scripture of the transfiguration is what I am assuming that that's what he's talking about there. Because it just follows right on there. But I may be corrected next week. So, Anything else? Well, thank you for your time. Sorry if I'm... Not as, not as good as some teachers, but you got what you paid for today. <laughs> so, yeah, you've got a few minutes to enjoy the rest of the body, so let's do it. <laughs>